Hello and welcome to Pathways, where you are invited to join me for a visit with leaders in personal development and cultural evolution. This is your host, Paul O'Brien. As of this taping, we are embarking on the new year of 2024. Now, this is a time of year when many of us stipulate good intentions and new resolutions. Generally, we hope to experience more happiness, health, creativity, and wealth going forward. Well, at the same time, lately we have been facing big changes and it's easy to feel overwhelmed such that we simply put off taking serious steps or even abandon goals altogether. Well, today's esteemed guest shows us how to break visionary goals into, into smaller daily steps to help us move into action and stop delaying our dreams. Our guest is Gay Hendricks, PhD, author of more than 40 books, including a new one entitled The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level, and the companion book, Your Big Leap Year. Gay is the president of the Hendricks Institute and has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies for more than 45 years. After earning his doctorate in counseling from Stanford, Gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. His over 40 books have included bestsellers such as Five Wishes and Conscious Loving, co-authored by his mate of more than 35 years, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. Their work is often used as a primary text in universities around the world. In 2003, Gay co-founded the Spiritual Cinema Circle, which distributes inspirational movies and conscious entertainment to subscribers in 70-plus countries. In addition to his work with the Hendricks Institute, he is currently continuing this new mystery series, his new mystery series that began with the first rule of 10. Hello, Gay, and welcome to The Pathway Show. Thank you very much, Paul. And I'm really happy to be back on the airwaves with you again. It's been quite a few years, but I remember with great pleasure uh, talking to your listeners before. Yeah, it, I remember too. You are great. And, and we're always happy to have you back. And, uh, you know, at the rate that you produce things, we're going to have to do it more often. <laughs> <laughs> so now today we're going to talk about this new book, um, Your Big Leap Year, which is kind of interesting because it's got something for every day of the new year. And this happens to be a leap year. So why don't you uh, tell us what inspired you to do this and how is the book structured? Yes. Well, the big leap, when I wrote the big leap about uh, now about 15 years ago, <clears throat> it was uh, instantly popular among two groups of people. One was the kind of the personal growth, personal growth and uh, well-being folks. And the other was entrepreneurs. It's a widely read book among entrepreneurs. And I get letters every day from startups who require all their new employees to read it. And so I've been really delighted to be able to speak to those two types of people over the years. And one thing, I get a lot of email about the Big Leap. And one thing that people have always asked for is how about breaking it down into a day book, you know, a 365 days of the Big Leap. And so right. after putting off that for about 15 years, I finally got around to doing it this past year. So uh, the All new right. book will be out any day now. And uh, actually, you don't need to start it on January 1st. It's uh, 
it's actually 366 days because this is a leap year. And right. but you can start at any time you want, even if you uh, uh, don't get it until the middle of the year, you could start on day one. So you're big on helping people achieve their goals and, and manifest their dreams. And I have a kind of a what might be a really dumb question, but it's very basic. Why are goals important? And is there ever a point when we can stop feeling obligated to set and work towards goals? Yes, I think, well, that's a great question, first of all. And let me approach it from a couple of different facets. One reason the goal that goals are important is, uh, I always use the example, you may have been in Amish country or someplace where you saw uh, horses pulling a buggy, or you've seen a Western movie where there are horses pulling a covered wagon. For sure. What you've never what you've never seen in the movies or in Amish country is horses pushing a wagon. And the reason for that is nature has designed it so that they can pull a lot better than they can push. And I use that example because in human terms, it's much better to have a goal out in front of you that you're moving toward rather than being pushed from the past by your old karma and your old deeds from the past. So I say you're either going toward things that are your heart's desire, or you're trying to escape from things that your heart can't accept. And so I recommend getting those horses out in front of the buggy because they're much better to say, okay, a year from now, I'd love to be able to love more than I do now. Or a year from now, I'd love to be able to have doubled the amount of discretionary money in my account. Something that's pushing you or pulling you toward the future rather than being pushed from, oh, no, I'm I'm scared I'm going to run out of money or, oh, I'm scared I don't have any love in my life. That right. kind of stuff pushes you from the past. So it's much more easeful and aesthetic and elegant and useful to pull from the future. So that's why I like to put goals out in front. Right. Okay. But that still begs the question of, isn't there such a thing as contentment? I mean, can't we ever get to a point, you know, like when we get old, like me, you know, we can just say, hey, <laughs> you've done enough. Yeah. Let's try to accept yourself. Try to accept reality. Let go of being so compulsive about achievement. Yes, I think there's a developmental thing that happens. Uh, and that is that at our age, uh, you know, we're in the... Um, you know, the, the Hindus have four stages of life. Right, uh, they have right. Chi child, student, householder, and forest dweller. Well, you and I are forest dwellers right now. Mm. You know, we do a lot of meditation and hanging out with people we love and that kind of thing. And we don't clutter our lives with a lot of stuff much anymore. When you're 25, you may want to be manifesting really specific things like a job right. or a house or a car. Later on, when you've kind of gotten all the wrinkles out of your belly, it becomes more uh, holistic kind of intentions like love and integrity and being present and those kind of things. But I think both of them are important. And, you know, also, Paul, the best way to manifest what you want is to feel grateful for what you have, to right. anchor yourself in deep gratitude, then you may say, okay, well, now I want to go and do something else. Well, that's great because it's come out of that space of gratitude. 
you know, in your book, you talk about how we get in our own, own way towards moving towards what we want or our heart's desire. And you talk about learning how to go beyond our happiness ceiling. Well, what is what is that? Yes. Well, one of the things in the original book, The Big Leap, that I come back to a lot in this uh, new book, Your Big Leap Year, is what I call the upper limit problem. And everybody has them. You know, I've had billionaires in this office and I've had juvenile delinquents in this office. So it doesn't matter where you are in the big economic game. What we all carry around inside us are undigested and undealt with issues from our past that cause us to put a limit on how much we can achieve and experience in the present. I call that the upper limit problem. And so right. what you and I and people like us have to do is get busy looking at where we trip ourselves up. Is it in the area of money? Do we make some money and then manage to lose it all? Like I've had people in here many times who have done that. Um, or is it in the area of love and affection or friendship? Like I've worked with a lot of Silicon Valley geniuses that have a big breakthrough at work that makes millions of dollars. Then they go home that night and have the biggest argument with their spouse they've ever had. And so right. that's what I call the upper limit problem. And it shows up in money. It shows up in love. It shows up in all different areas of life with your kids, with how you relate to the world around you. So it's up to us, each one of us, to take on the task of unwinding our upper limit problems. And in fact, that's one of the big reasons I wrote the new book is to give you a day-by-day -day way to do just that. I think it's such a great metaphor and it, uh, um, uh, an idea, this upper limit problem idea. And you mentioned in in the earlier book, which is related to the the new book with of the 366 days um, that worrying is usually a sign that we're upper limiting and that worrying is definitely addicting. Now this is, we're having a, a, an epidemic of anxiety these days. So worry is a very common thing that people do. Can you speak to how uh, worried worrying is, a, is related to the upper limit problem? Yes. I'll give you a personal example and I'll, I'll to illustrate I was walking down the street one day here in my little town of Ojai, California, which is a town of about 10,000 people, and it has one big main street, and that's where all the big stores are and everything. And I was walking along that street, and I glanced to my left, and there was this beautiful ring in the um, window of a jewelry store. And I paused there, and I looked at it, and it was such a beautiful ring. I thought about, you know, that's something that I would buy for my wife's birthday. And so I made a note to come back to it. And so I started my back down the street. And within a couple of steps, I was worrying about poverty in the world and worrying about, there was, you know, the war that's going on that was at the time and is still happening. And, um, you know, dramatic tensions in the Middle East. So I've, I was back to worrying about that within 10 seconds of having that beautiful, positive thought about a gift I might want to live, give. Now, why would I do that? Well, this is what where I cracked the code, Paul. I realized that I, like many of us, in a sense, have an allergy to feeling good for very long. 
if we feel wow. good for very long, our mind kicks in and says, wait a minute, there are big problems in the world you're not facing, or, oh, you've got a lot of problems yourself, you ought to be, you know, so we have this, in a sense, upper limit to how good we can let ourselves feel. That's when I begin to catch on to it. And I begin to think, okay, instead of trying to solve all my other problems, I'm going to boil it down to one problem, which is how can I expand my ability to feel good every day of my life? If I could keep feeling better and better and better and better and savoring more and tolerating more good feeling, I would get more stuff done because I wouldn't go around with a frantic mind thinking about all the terrible things in the world. I'd be able to focus on what my particular business is. So that's one of the big payoffs for this, Paul, is that once you kind of start clearing out your upper limit problem, you can focus more of your attention on what I call your genius zone, which is that part of yourself where you're doing what you love to do and you're making a big contribution in the world. You know, I noticed that one of the things I thought was very profound and, and an eye opener for me was that, okay, you see this ring or whatever, and you start worrying about money, but the worry thoughts about money are not actually about money. It's just, they're just symptoms of the upper limit problem. Um, That's it. And, and unless they're about something real that you can do something about right away, it's not about what you think, think it's about. That is uh, so counterintuitive. It is really counterintuitive, but some of the biggest things in life are counterintuitive. Like, for example, uh, like a foundation of 12-step groups is the idea of letting go of trying to control things that are not within your power to control and putting your attention on whatever the task at hand is, like staying sober this day. Well, that idea was first espoused in a little tiny book 2,000 years ago by a philosopher named Epictetus. And the first line of his book says, the secret of happiness is knowing that there are some things you can control and some things you cannot control. And so mm. 2,000 years ago, where people were facing into the same problems and coming up with a, just a fabulous solution to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So if we if we only focus on the things that we can control, which isn't a whole lot, then we're going <laughs> to have right. more we're going to have more space for uh, to to tap into uh, the ways that we feel good inside to the things that inspire us. Is that the idea? Yes, that's exactly the idea. And with just this one little refinement, which is what I encourage people to pay attention to once they've freed up more mind space is what I call your genius zone, which is when you're operating in your unique abilities. And the key to it is doing things you love to do that make a big contribution to other people's lives. Like just speaking personally, you're in your genius zone, Paul. I'm in my genius zone. You know, you're doing something you love to do. I'm doing something I love to do. And presumably it's making a contribution to other people's lives. Right. I think a lot of people might argue that there are things they love to do that aren't really making much of a contribution to anybody's lives or just for pleasure. Is that, that not absolutely. the case? No, mm -hmm. I think that is the case, that we need to have lots of ways of pleasure 
pleasuring in our relationships, pleasuring ourselves. <laughs> Oddly enough, this very day, I went over to uh, uh, get my ear worked on because uh, I uh, dove in my swimming pool and I jammed some wax up into my ear. And so I spent a few hours over in the local uh, urgent care place this morning while they were most of the time I was sitting there doing nothing, but sometimes they would come in and work on my ear and then they would have some a big emergency that they would run. To. But anyway, uh, on this very day, I happened to have a lot of time just sitting there. And so it was so rich because I spent time meditating and responding to emails that I hadn't had a chance to do. So I think it's possible to even savor things that don't seem very savorable, like being in an ER waiting room, for example. You know, most of the time right. people would say that's a pretty crummy experience. But actually, I walked out of there and not only was my ear feeling a thousand percent better, which they were able to fix, but also I I just, instead of grumbling about it the whole time, I turned it into opportunity and space to do something useful that I like to do. Now, I know that your books and your work are wildly popular with intelligent people, with entrepreneurial people, with uh, people that are um, on the path of success in one way or another. And so uh, I I'm just wondering, do you think that everybody has some talent that, or something that they're uniquely suited to do? Is it possible that there are people who just aren't very talented to begin with? Well, that's possible. I don't meet a lot of them, though. Uh, yeah, I, of course. I say, you know, my one of my old mentors, uh, Abraham Maslow, said something really beautiful. He said a lot of beautiful things. But one thing he said was, it doesn't matter if you're making a genius soup or writing a genius symphony. They're all expressions of the heart, even though the soup may be only eaten by two or three people. The symphony might be appreciated by millions, but it's something that the person loves to do and they're expressing some unique ability of theirs. And so, right. uh, you know, most of the time, a lot of the times we're doing things that might not change humanity, but on the other hand, they can certainly change our community if we bring forth a message like you're doing and I've been trying to do for many years. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that's interesting in your approach in that is you contrast what you call the zone of genius, which you were just speaking to, with the zone of excellence. Now, you would think that most people would think, well, excellence sounds pretty darn good. Um, what's wrong with that? And you, so tell us about uh, why the temptation to remain in the zone of excellence can be a pitfall. It can be a very big trap. Um, well, also... In the book, I talk about four zones. The zone of incompetence, where you're doing stuff you're not any good at and don't like to do. But surprisingly enough, a lot of people spend a lot of their time doing just that. So get out of that one as soon as possible. The second zone that I really want people to get out of is the zone of competence, where you're doing stuff you are skilled at, but somebody else could do it just as well. Now, where... Mm -hmm many of our listeners will want to really tune is, is you'll find yourself in your zone of excellence where you're doing things that you're good at, but it has a trap built into it that if you do that for too long, you miss what I call the call to genius. 
that almost every person who's in the zone of excellence tells me that they have something in them that doesn't quite feel fulfilled. And so what I say that part of us is, is that genius part, that unique ability, that doing what we love to do and figuring out if we can do it in a way that helps other people. Like in The Big Leap and in the new book, uh, Your Big Leap Year, I talk about something I call the universal or ultimate success mantra. And it's what I say every day of my life and having the background of my life, which is I expand every day in love, creativity, and abundance as I inspire other people to do the same. So that's my life purpose. And every day, that's what I focus on. There are other things I do around the house, you know, like I load the dishwasher. I'm not a genius at that. And I take out the trash on Sundays. I'm not a genius at that, but I do it because it makes a contribution to the whole, you know, to my family and that kind of thing. But 99% of the time, Paul, when I'm awake and moving around, I'm doing stuff that I really love to do. And that's a delicious way to go through life. You oh, feel like you're sure. on vacation all the time. Yeah. Wow. Well, you are a great exemplar of what you teach. And, and that, that is uh, incredibly inspiring. Now, you'd say that a person can establish themselves in the zone of genius, beginning with a modest investment of 10 minutes a day. All right, let's do this. How do you do that? I'll give you a $25,000 answer to that. One of the things we do here is uh, sometimes big corporations send us their CEO or their CFO for a day of intense work. They can only spare one day in their schedule. So they spend all day here from uh, 8.30 or 9 in the morning until whenever they go home that night. And they usually got a jet waiting for them at the airport and they get back on the jet. But here's what happens in that first 10 minutes. They go in a little room. Oh, and the reason I'm saying it's $25,000 thing is that if you spent the whole day with us, that's what the corporation pays. So here's your $25,000 gift. The first thing that person does is we put them in a little room by themselves. There's not even any pictures on the wall or anything. And for 10 minutes, we ask them to just do two things. We ask them to breathe slowly. And then every 30 seconds or so, to float the following question up into their mind, which is, hmm, what do I most love to do? And we say, put the hum in front of it, hmm, like you're genuinely wondering about it, because wonder is a powerful creative tool. When you're in wonder, you're looking for an answer, but you don't have an answer. So you're in pure creative space. So imagine doing that for 10 minutes, Every 20 or 30 seconds, hmm, what do I most love to do? Sometimes people come out after 10 minutes of that and they're just, their eyes are wide open because they realize they know what they love to do, but they haven't been doing it enough. Mm -hmm. And so start with 10 minutes a day. If all you can do in that 10 minutes is just sit there and wonder, hmm, what is my true gift in life? What is my true genius zone activity? What is my unique ability? Ask yourselves those big questions and let nature itself with its creativity provide the answers. 
Well, you know, we've just been having such a great time. It's amazing how fast time flies, and we only have a minute or two left. And I've, there's so many things we could talk about. But you say in the book, no matter how brilliant we might be at making money or making music or making soup, we are all amateurs when it comes to feeling and expressing love. And one of the few in-depth studies ever done on the relationships of successful people, they found that 80% uh, had unsatisfying marriages and long-term relationships. How do you explain that? Well, I explain it with the upper limit problem because so many people, and it's also, Paul, what you focus on because, you know, sadly, I've walked down the halls of many, many big companies with the CEO when we've been going around and they've been introducing me and so on. And it's so true that you get what you focus on. I've had so many of those folks say, you know, it's no wonder my marriage is completely upside down because all I do is work. You know, all I think about. I had one fellow say, you know, what do I have to offer a woman in this particular case? Um, they were in the middle of a divorce. And he says, I work all day. And then when I go home, I think about work all night. And so anyway, I'm saying that it is a serious problem and it's because of what people's priorities are. And it's also because the upper limit problem suggests that we all have an allergy that we need to overcome to letting ourselves feel more love and give more love. So we're bound to notice the upper limit problem popping up somewhere or other. It seems to be kind of baked into our cultural conditioning somehow. Yeah. Yes. You know, oh, you know, well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, one last thing. You know, you mentioned in the book your wife loves mystery novels. And I'm wondering, did this have impact on your development of a mystery series? I think so, because <laughs> I, actually it, the first thing that happened, I saw I I saw I want to write a mystery novel that Katie would like to read. Yes. So that's uh -huh. a very interesting. Okay. I, I never never thought of that before. I appreciate <laughs> you for pointing that out. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, Gay, you are awesome. There's so much more we could explore, but we actually have run out of time. And I want to make sure before we go that I tell you, our, our listeners about your website, which is www.hendrix.com. And I want to recommend the book, The Big Leap. And for those who may have tuned in late to Pathways today, this is your host, Paul O'Brien, author of Intuitive Intelligence, a book that shares the theme of Pathways, which is personal and cultural evolution. Now, don't worry, you can play and or share this interview whenever you want via the Internet or as a free podcast, and I'll tell you how in a minute. Today, we've been visiting with Gay Hendricks, author of The Big Leap and the new book, Your Big Leap Year. Highly recommended. I'm getting a, so much out of it, and I'm probably going to get a lot out of it for the rest of the year. And I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into Pathways, which is broadcast and streamed on the Internet at www.kboo.fm every Sunday morning at 8.30 USA Pacific Time. But even better, podcasts of today's show, which you can listen to and forward to others, are available for free at divination.com. That's spelled D-I-V-I-Nation.com, as well as via iTunes, Paulo's YouTube channel, and other free podcast servers. Well, this is Paul O'Brien reminding you to tell your friends about Pathways Radio and Podcasts. And thanks again to Gay Hendricks. Thank you, Gay. And to all of you listeners for tuning in and being a part 
of the Pathways Conversation.